Welcome to episode four of Who's Bringing Wine? A Typical Life. This is Megan. And I'm Abigail. And tonight we've got kind of a special episode. You know, the past three have been pretty humorous and joking and cutting up and all that, which we plan on doing still tonight, quite a bit (laughs) in in the future. But tonight we want to talk about something, one, to help you get to know Abigail a little bit better um, and also maybe bring awareness to people out there or maybe offer some help for families dealing with children with special needs. So tonight we've got a guest and it's my dear friend Kristen. Hello. And Kristen is married for... 14. 14 years and she's got two boys and her oldest is actually friends with my son and uh, he's got special needs and then Abigail you want to tell us a little bit about your son yeah um, so also I'd like to just mention that uh, Kristen and I you know have a little bit of different situations in the fact that she's married and I'm a single mom but um, in that respect my ex-husband is very 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 involved I mean, we split custody and um, he goes to every doctor's appointment he and I make every decision together it is not a one-sided thing um, so while I am a single mom I am not alone in the process of right, raising yeah. my son um, my son has um, Asperger's he was diagnosed uh, three months shy of his third birthday um, it's a interesting uh kind of thing how he was diagnosed um when he was born uh i realized very quickly that he was not a typical child i've been around a lot of children um growing up babysitting taking care of um a lot of children in my family and stuff and so i knew what a typical child should be like as an infant the milestones Um, and stuff like that yeah well it wasn't so much the milestones as it was just um he didn't sleep hardly at all. Um, he ate constantly. Um, he always uh, was very unsettled. Um, not necessarily crying all the time, but just very, very unsettled and always wanted to be held, always wanted to be carried. Like I, I constantly carried him around in those carriers because he needed that pressure. I now know that he needed that comfort, that pressure of the carrier mm-hmm. to to console him and so I knew that you know I just couldn't put him down for anything and then going out um, and about uh, I always had to have him in a carrier I couldn't even as he started to get a little older I couldn't um, put him in in you know a cart and go to the grocery store it was very very overwhelming for him and didn't realize what was going on at the time but I knew something was different Um, at his 18th month uh, doctor's appointment I um, talked to our pediatrician at the time about it and she point blank said no he's not autistic he's way too smart looking back at that appointment yeah autism has nothing to do with intelligence no it doesn't are incredibly well that just goes to show you like how little she knew seven years ago yeah, yeah how little she knew about it um but looking back on that appointment my child was sitting in the floor turning spinning in circles I mean that's a classic sign uh, of autism but um, you know I trusted her and I was like okay so I continued to do research on my own see if I could kind of come up with something else that was going on and it just kept coming back to it and um, so well, in a mother's gut 
Yeah. I mean, you have to you trust your intuition. And, and, That's and fight for it. Fight first for the and diagnosis. foremost, what I want to get across tonight is if you feel like something is not right, keep pushing. Yeah. If we hadn't, Waylon would not be where he is right now. Right. Um, but at his 24-month appointment, um, I think it was his appointment. It may have been my daughter's. Uh, I finally just asked. I said, I want a psych consult. Um, something is going on here. He had started getting a little bit aggressive. Um, I had a, a younger daughter. Um, it wasn't a safe environment for her, and we needed help. So um, we went, made the appointment for this psychologist. That took like six months to get into her. Grief. Yeah, it's it's a process. Oh yeah, it it when you have to get in with the specialist, it you think okay finally we're making some progress and then you know it may be january and they say okay we'll see you in july mm -hmm. and then it's six more months of, right. of not knowing right and so she evaluated him and she said yes i i do believe that he has um asperger's and she said but i don't specialize in that i would like to send you to somebody that does specialize in it just to make sure um, so then that, again, was another six-month process of getting into to that person, and um, we did go and finally see him, and he was officially diagnosed with, with Asperger's. So definitely, if you feel like something is, is going on, and we'll tell you a few things about our children and, and aspects of them and things to look at for, um, but if it, in your gut you feel like something's going on, please you know, push. And yeah, and don't be afraid to ask the hard questions and right. even put the doctor in a bad position. Not bad, but mm -hmm. a difficult position. Like, I, this, I'm the mother. Mm -hmm. I see these behaviors. Mm -hmm. I've, I know the people with children or I've been around children my whole life or whatever experience you've got. Right. Or if you've got none, but right. you think something is not right, push it. And if that doctor is not going to help you, go to another one. Mm -hmm. Find another one. Well, Kristen, why don't you tell us about your son? Well, my son, um, Marshall is uh, 11 and a half he likes me to say oh yeah because he's almost 12 and he's <laughs> counting down the days till he can have an iphone um, and so far he thinks it's 13 i'm not sure but um when he was about two years old we noticed that he had um he was blinking his eyes really really hard and so we mentioned it to the doctor and they said you know lots of kids do that even the teachers at the daycare noticed and, and called it to my attention I, I took him to an eye doctor at two and it just continued um and it would be either like a facial grimace or blinking his eyes really hard and when he was it, it took us pretty much his birthday's in january so it took us pretty much that year to convince them something is is up this is constant i said these seem like ticks mm. and he um finally they like in late december early january they they agreed and so we got our appointment in april mm -hmm. um with the neurologist and i remember it was very strange at the neurologist's office because he talked to marshall he um made him and, and and again he's three years old right run down the hall and then come back and then he kept asking me questions about my family history asking if there was any um uh things like uh ocd or even autism or adhd diagnosed in my family and i i did i do remember thinking why is he not asking my husband this because everything was focused at me mm -hmm. and he said well he's only three 
but from what I can see now, he has chronic tick syndrome, and so do you. And he looked directly at me, and and he and I realized then, oh, wow. and I knew immediately what he meant. And it, and it was I said, "Is it my eyes?" Because I have always been a heavy blinker, and yeah. and I even when Marshall was starting it, he would almost almost like. I guess like yeah, clench his eyes right, and squinting you know squint real hard and um I remember doing that as a kid as well but I just thought I had sensitive eyes and my response to him was um after he confirmed yes it was my blinking and I said well I've just always assumed I have sensitive eyes I wear contacts I'm sticking my fingers in my eyes all the time um I just assumed they were sensitive and but I, I immediately thought back to all the times people had kind of you know made fun or commented on the fact that I was I blinked all the time and and really you know it was not just normal blinking but you know hard blinking and that's exactly what he was doing and so we went from three until uh, well actually by the next Christmas he had started making noises and having vocal tics. And at that point, I had started doing enough research that I realized we were looking at a, a diagnosis of, of Tourette's syndrome. Right. And my brother's a neurologist, and I talked with him, and he he put me in contact with people he knew and would describe his the things that he did. And um, we couldn't get anything conclusive. But finally, um, when he was at the end of his kindergarten year, he was diagnosed with ADHD, and by October of his first grade year, he was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. Mm-hmm. I remember going through all that. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. and you know, and they say Tourette syndrome, and everybody immediately thinks, "Oh my God, my kid is going to start just spouting out profanities and right. swearing all the right. time." Well, I'd be interested for you to kind of talk about the statistics of it because even in conversation, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about how the vocal the ex- uh, you know, the expletive Swear. language, the, the swearing. swearing. The swearing. <laughs> I just say it how it is. <laughs> they just think that's what it is, and it's not. It's such a small percentage, but even a coworker of mine who has listened to our podcast and is always asking me about it and how things are going, he said, um, he said, what's, what's the next topic about? And it's funny that it's a guy because yeah. he's married <laughs> with a toddler, and he's he loves the show, so well, yay. Some, some of us married people like your show, too. Well, no, yeah. but just for a guy. They're so, living anyway. vicariously through But he even said he's, he's kind of made fun of Tourette's a little bit, not in a derogatory way, but like, oh, like I said what the topic was going to be. And then I said, we've got a friend that's going to come on whose son has Tourette's and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, the, like he, he does? Like, is he like, I was like, you, ugh, you're going to have to listen to the episode because <laughs> yeah. you're so yeah. uninformed. Well, I mean, that's how it is like portrayed on movies. Yeah. It's yeah. how it's depicted and it is made fun of in movies, well, like it, in as reality, a funny type in, thing. In reality... Less than 10% of Tourette's patients have what is known as coprolalia. Mm. And I can never say that you word. Did it. I you did, did it. it. Yay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's really, it's less than 10% have the swearing tick. Now, they may have echolalia, which my son does, which he will sometimes repeat the last thing he's heard. Which, which is, that's also, that's huge yeah, in the autism, autism world as well. Waylon also does, he repeats things until you respond to what he is saying mm-hmm. he my, will say it over and over and over until you respond my godson um who is you know on the spectrum uh and you would never know it now when you met him because it's amazing what therapies can do but that was a big key yeah. when he was younger mm-hmm. when he was nonverbal for a long time yeah it took him a while to talk and then when he did talk 
it was just the constant echolalia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, what I learned is that, like, what I had, or I guess have, because the more I talk about it, the more I blink, um, <laughs> is chronic tick disorder. But what, you know, my son's is different because his is actual Tourette syndrome. And that means you have to have both motor and vocal tics um, together for, and I'm trying to remember, it's either, I believe it's a year. Okay. And by the time he got the diagnosis, he had had, had, had both um, for about three years. We had definitely been through that. So we're going to talk about a little bit of facts about each of these uh, different disorders. Um, They're both neurological disorders. Um, So they, as far as I know, there's a lot of controversy out there as far as, you know, autism goes and where it comes from and stemming from, you know, vaccines or this, that, and the other. All I know is that my son was born with it, 100%. He did not get it from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a neurological disorder that he has. And um, in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for it because it is who he is. It's He, he is a very, very special child. Um, he's funny. He's loving. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, think that autistic kids don't want friends because they are kind of closed off and they are kind of you know off in their own little world but that is so wrong he he wants nothing more than to have friends that will talk to him well and and from the outsider's perspective you know as a friend's perspective the with the child that is typical to get a hug from waylon yeah (laughs) or a recognition from him feels better than anything in the world. I mean, there's a couple instances. One, just standing in your kitchen, and he just walked up to me. He had been spinning. Yeah. Walked up and put his hand on my stomach and then just walked around my body with his hand mm. around my waist. Yeah. Just first time he ever touched me. Right. And then at the pool this summer. Yeah. You know, when like, I latched on to you. He was kind like... of, you know, flailing a bit. And I'm like, if you need me, you can reach. And he just lunged right forward and <laughs> yeah. was latched on. And it... it there really is no greater feeling. I mean, right. of course, it feels great when your kids love on you. Mm-hmm. But to know a child struggles with that, mm-hmm. to know and, and you see the affection is there. Right. It's just going to come out in a different way. And the thing with Wylan is is it takes a while for him to trust you. You have to be around. You have to build that relationship right. with him. But once he does, you are as good as gold. Like, you are in and forever. Like, you're his. Yeah, no, he's he's, <laughs> I mean, he's wonderful. <laughs> So, um, something, look, I know, you know, autism is a spectrum. You go from the, the very, very hard, um, nonverbal, non-motor skill, um, side of things to the very, you know, intelligent, well, they're, they're all intelligent, but, um, you know, the ones that are very capable of, of doing things. Well, and the just ones have that hard... are in, like, the doctor, the, the good mm-hmm. doctor, the show. Right. The, the show Atypical. I mean, right. TV's doing a better job of showing it, but they're they're really just showing the pretty high-functioning. The high-functioning side of it. And that's what Waylon has. He's, he's very high-functioning. The difference in um, Asperger's and autism is their language skills and um, their intellect. And um, when I say language, it doesn't necessarily mean um, speaking language because Waylon didn't talk right off the bat. And that was one of our cues that he may be autistic. But it wasn't that it's just he has 
an issue with getting brain to mouth. It wasn't what was in his brain. It was just getting it out the mouth. Um, his language is at a fifth grade level, and he's in second grade right now. Um, words come out of his mouth that you're like, whoa, eight, an eight-year-old should not know that word. Not only does he know the word, he knows the definition of the word and how to use it properly. Um, so he And he knew these words and could read at a very young age, but just wasn't verbalizing that stuff. So that was, that was my godson, too, to yeah. the point that the doctor said, you're going to have to like hide books right you know yeah because he's gonna yeah you don't you don't want them seeing certain things at a young age because they understand it that's the thing it's like they they have this different part of the brain it's it's right it's amazing Mm -hmm. but so and and Waylon is in a um typical classroom he has about a staff of about 10 that deal with him on a daily basis. Uh, Which is an amazing school system. Yes. We're very lucky. We are very lucky. We do have an amazing school system. Um, With with any special needs, just to let you know this, um, before age three, you go through the state. Um, if, if you have a child that is diagnosed with something before age three, you would go through the state for any kind of therapy. Now, does that vary state to state? Because I've got a friend whose son is autistic. They moved from Colorado to georgia specifically because her oldest son has autism Mm -hmm. and colorado Mm -hmm. had no nothing all the money they've got coming in they had no services they were put on wait lists for schools that were an hour away right it was i mean she was in tears right so many times on the phone talking about it trying to i mean i've never seen a woman research so hard and so steadily and luckily her wonderful husband who can work really from wherever with the type IT job thing. Mm-hmm. That I don't even know what he does. He's too smart for me. <laughs> <laughs> really. But they, it took them, I think, two years yeah. to get down here. But where her son is now in yeah. the Georgia school system that they're right, in, right. compared to what was going on in Colorado, it is, uh, he's a completely different. Kid. Right. It is amazing. And um, the... The three-year-old thing does is across the board in every state. Okay. Now, every state has different, um, you know, programs that they offer. Alabama, I will say, is at the top of yeah. their special needs. They are on it when it comes to special needs children. Um, now, granted, Waylon was diagnosed very close to age three, so basically the state um, just did their evaluation, um, said, yes, we agree with your uh, diagnosis and they helped us get in get started with the school system so once they're three years old they go into the school system and Waylon started with the preschool and um, got therapies within the school but also we were doing therapy outside of the school as well to double up on him and we were doing OT and speech and behavioral therapy and just kind of started as strong as we could with him to to get him going how was it with the Tourette's how did they well well he was diagnosed a little bit older right but they had noticed the the ticks I mean they were very well aware of the ticks at the daycare mm-hmm. and so we just sort of worked out a plan together it was a, a you know a church daycare that we went to but um, well, I would talk with the teachers and they would tell me what they saw and we would tell them, you know, what we were noticing at home. And um, by that point, like I said, I was pretty sure that's where we were going was, was for the Tourette's diagnosis. But 
they would do things like um, he he would have a very hard time settling down uh, at nap time. And so when it was time for a nap, if he was verbally ticking or vocal ticking, he they you know his his teacher would say things like you know hey roll over and anything to break the cycle right and so that's just kind of how we we did it then mm-hmm. and i'll never forget bless her heart when he started kindergarten his kindergarten teacher um was a i mean like school started in august she had not only graduated college in may <laughs> but she was hired the day before meet the teacher oh my and then school starting like the next monday oh. and so when i met her i'm like oh it's so nice to meet you and by the way my child has ticks and he makes these noises and here's you know what has worked in his daycare and i can remember her to this day her eyes being big around as a yeah. saucer and i'll never forget the day <laughs> this is kind of an aside but the day that um, she sent me an email, she said, I just want you to know he got in trouble today because he was really making um, noises. And I went into mama bear mode and yeah. was, you know, emailed right back. Now, you know, he has ticks and vocal ticks. That's one of his things. And and he can't help this. And and she said, well, he was flying his pencil through the air and making motorboat noises. And I thought, oh, that's different. Yeah, that's not a tick. <laughs> that's a little different. <laughs> yeah. OK, so that that he was doing, he shouldn't have been doing but you know so it wasn't until um and even to be honest it wasn't until he was in third grade we had once he was diagnosed in first grade with Tourette syndrome and adhd we did a 504 plan right and it was you know with accommodations like he needs to be um, seated next to the teacher or close to the teacher in proximity so that he can be easily redirected um and it's always been don't call attention to his tics if it's something that's disturbing um the class or or he and part of the reason is if he at i think he was too young at this point to try to suppress it when he was in first grade but because at one point he told the doctor we were we were working with an occupational therapist and with a doctor about how to kind of control some of his tics and she asked if he wanted help with his vocal tics and and he said, no, they're not really that big of a deal. So, because to him, they weren't. <laughs> to him, they weren't. <laughs> they, but, and I, I was thinking, yeah. um, okay, I'm not sure how, how to bring this up. So we, we just went with that. But, you know, things like if he needs to um, sit outside the classroom, they were letting them sit in the hall to do their reading or things like that. So we could right. do. Because intellectually, it had not affected him. He's, he's not, I mean, he's on grade level or above grade level and in everything he does i began to worry about his social right um because he he was fully aware of the the social instances and 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 issues around Mm -hmm. and when he um let me think when he was in third grade i had all he'd always had a bit of a speech issue like you know instead of saying um you know it's raining outside he would pronounce it waning outside mm-hmm. and and but he never would I, I in kindergarten and in first grade and again in second grade i said you know he needs some type of speech therapy and he never qualified because it was not affecting his academics right he was able to read Which the I word i don't understand that at I, all if they if they getting older and getting further up you know with socially and even their academics are not failing 
Well, it, school a, is only interested in academics. Right. They're not they interested in the social aspect. It, if they need help in social aspect, that's where the parent has to step in and do yeah, outside private, therapy. Private well, therapy. but actually, when my younger son, who does not have, have Tourette's, but when he was in kindergarten, I got a an email from his teacher who said, I'm very concerned about about his reading because he's he's not pronouncing words and he's not reading words correctly because of of the way he's pronouncing them he's not seeing it he qualified as a kindergartner yeah. for speech therapy where my well, that affected son, his academics because it was affecting his academics but mm-hmm. because it didn't affect marshall's academics yeah um it wasn't until third grade, once my younger son was sort of established with an IEP and was going to speech therapy, when mm-hmm. I said, please look at him. Right. Uh, because he, his speech issues in many ways are mm-hmm. worse. Yeah. And but, I want to stop you there because I want to explain a little bit um, difference between 504 and an IEP. Yeah. Also, is that the same nationwide? Or is that I do Alabama? not know. All I can yeah, speak I for is Alabama. Alabama. Okay. So I'm not sure if it is. I, I think it is. Okay. Um, but a 504 is when a child needs help within the classroom, which is just special accommodations. Right. They're not taken out of the classroom for any reason. Like they longer just, length of time for test taking. Right. Or, or the just near the teacher so that he can be redirected. You generally see that with like ADHD right. or ADD. They, right. They, An IEP is an individual education plan, which means that they have a special plan for their school day, which is what Wayland has. Okay. Um, it means that they are taken out for speech therapies occupational therapies, behavioral therapies. They are taken out of the classroom if they, you know, are having an, an episode that they need to be, you know, taken out to another room. Um, Waylon is taken out for all testing, just about. Uh, so it, it, it is where they have to go. They, their day on a day-to-day basis is different from the typical child. Okay. Now, in our case, we didn't get the IEP until he qualified for speech. And that's because they had to take him out right. of the but classroom. Because with Tourette's, it's still fall either under OHI for other well, health impairment. Because Tourette's doesn't have right. it, academics. It, so. mm-hmm. Sometimes, some people it does. Right. If, if the tics are like involving their hands, mm-hmm. um, they're not able to write or, right. or things. But in, in his case, it, um, it did not take him out of the classroom. But the speech therapy did. So, you know, in, in dealing with the speech therapy, um, the IEP for speech therapy, then we added in things like, you know, if he needs to leave the room or if he's, if the, if it's motor tics that are bad, which are, you know, muscle movements, mm-hmm. then he, it needs to be allowed to get up and walk around the room. Correct, or, yeah. um, it, and other than the motorboat with the pencil incident, <laughs> he, he's been really good about not using it, but it's sort of as an excuse because I swear I think he's smart enough to think, hmm, yeah, I might, oh, yeah. I might be able to get out of something, yeah. And I had kept from him the um, the copra copra tick because 
Um, he's also occasionally trying out words mm-hmm. to see, you know, mm. what the reaction is. And and I thought as soon as he knows what that is, he might oh, no. try that out. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, you're so right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Like what? I didn't. I didn't stun on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, I can't tell help him it. is, I I can tell when something's a tick and when he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and sometimes he's just doing it. But right. <laughs> when he's right. when he's doing. He finally this year found out about coprolalia because he finally read a book where the main character has Tourette's. And he asked me, why is this kid cussing all the time? Or why are people asking him if he cusses all the time? And I thought, I've made it 11 and a half years. (laughs) I had to explain this, but I guess now the, the gig is up. And so I just told him, and I could see the glint in his eye. And he said, you mean he can cuss whenever he wants to and not get in trouble? Yeah. And I said... But you don't have that. And that's when I started throwing facts at him. Less yeah. than 10% of patients. <laughs> you don't have that. And I could tell if you did. And Because uh, my thing is, if he uses it in context and correctly, it's yeah, not a tick. It's not yeah, a tick. Yeah, no, exactly. The whole key word is it's, in a, it's used inappropriately. Right. right. But, um, you know, he had, had, with his IEP, he had accommodations that you know for the speech but also like you said with testing um there was a time when we got a a call where they had told us that his tics were just so bad during the test that not only were they affecting him because if he tries to stifle them then that's all he focuses on it's like it gives him anxiety it does but it's like think about it if you have an itch Oh. And you, you're, you're thinking, trying not to. I can't to scratch itch. it. I can't yeah. scratch it. That's all you can think about. Yeah. And so, if he's focusing on that, he can't focus on anything else. But on, by the same token, if he's t- if he just allows it to happen and he's ticking loudly, other students can't focus either. Yeah. So we decided that he he would take his test or, or standardized test and in mm-hmm. classroom test as needed is, right. is what the IEP says. But. Um, he, you know, as going into sixth grade and going into middle school, we're kind of into new territory because he's not at all happy mm. about having to continue speech. And he tried real hard on his last evaluation and did it correctly so that he technically tested out of right. having speech. But he doesn't have it conversationally. So mm. for that reason, we were able to keep him, him back in. But it, you know, he, and, and it's hard. He doesn't want to be singled out and right. pulled out and have right. other people know that he has well, to go. Well, that's got to be so one, hard. One of the funny things, uh, it is you know, very hard. At, I know I went through a, a kind of a grieving stage oh, when we first, it was kind of like, you know, we had been fighting and fighting and fighting for something, some kind of diagnosis. And then we got it. And it was like, my first thought was bullying. Like his oh. life is going to be filled with that. And, um, and I had to go through a process of that once, you know, and I still have my processes of that every now and time, every now and then, but, um, then it was go mode. Like, what do we need to do? Let's get it done. Um, so, uh, let's talk about, um, give us some like facts and stuff about Tourette's that people may not know. Okay. Uh, get my little little sheet out (laughs) um one of the things is that the the prevalence of it and actual Tourette syndrome which is both motor and vocal tics um is estimated um to show up in children in about one out of 160 children 
and the number drops to one out of a hundred if you combine it with chronic tick disorder or, um, oh, I can't remember the other name, but it's the one where they have chronic tick disorder, they have them for six months or more. Um, if it's, or a year or more, but it, if it's not quite that long, then it's a, a different kind of tick disorder mm. where it's sort of like waiting and seeing. Um, and so that was one thing of the, the commonality of it. And what has shocked me is since his diagnosis, I have another very good friend whose son was di- who is the same age mm-hmm. was diagnosed. Really? Um, I know of, it, it, in a slightly a nearby but different school system, I know of two other boys in our school system with it and one other in a different school system. Yeah. And I mean, so that's... It's what, a lot more common it's, than it's, you would I mean, yeah. and, and the thing is, is it's three to four times more likely to affect boys than it mm-hmm. is girls. All the ones I know are boys, know of are boys, and they're all within school systems that are literally next door to each other. Well, a good friend of mine, uh, she was not diagnosed until she was, I'm probably going to get this wrong, I think it might have been junior high, but it was because she, they just didn't look at, Mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't go there initially because right. it is so much more prevalent mm-hmm. in boys that it took longer for her to be diagnosed but it started off with the ticks just mm-hmm. little ticks mm-hmm. and that really is is what it is she probably could correct me but i mean now as an adult she's figured out medications for it and like right. and it's not and it's kind of the same thing with autism you you see a lot more boys diagnosed than girls and a lot of times it's because um girls uh it's not as strong. Their their outward signs are not as strong. So if they're not, you know, severe autism, it's not as prevalent. Um, it's not as noticeable. Mm-hmm. And it's also thrown off as they're just a girl and the way their emotions and that sort of thing. Um, so it is diagnosed a lot more in boys. But I think our statistic is 1 in 51. I think it has gone down to 1 in 49 now. Mm-hmm. But I know it was 1 in 51 children um, are diagnosed. that autism? That is autism Asperger's. spectrum disorder. Disorders. And that includes Asperger's Asperger. is in, within the spectrum. Mm-hmm. There is like five different disorders that are lumped into ASD. Okay. as a whole so um, they did that for insurance purposes because you had all these separate diagnoses and insurance was covering some and not covering others and they all kind of needed the same therapies they needed the same goals you know to reach to get their to the level that they needed to succeed and so they lumped it all under ASD well, as a whole that's something that as as a parent of a child with Tourette's is so frustrating is getting the necessary services covered right is almost impossible yes now we deal with comorbid conditions such as i mean he has adhd that's diagnosed mm-hmm. anxiety is not diagnosed but it's very prevalent mm-hmm. um as is ocd and the one that i'm afraid of is oppositional defiance and mm-hmm. and we see that as well mm-hmm. um but at this point, I'm like, what's another diagnosis? <laughs> because, right. you know what? So we treat the ADHD. Mm-hmm. You, there are medicines for Tourette's that, that patients can take, but they're not... It, it's usually when the tics are so severe that it's causing injury. Yeah. And, you know, 
Luckily, we've only had two times that, that his ticks have caused an, an injury. And one of them, um, his poor teacher, he was walking past a, a bookshelf and his tick was involving his neck and he was jerking his head kind of to the side. And when he did, he hit his head in the bookshelf and cut his head. Oh, and um, so, you know, but that was the only time he's ever really injured. But he's constantly... You, you can just tell. I took him to a chiropractor and they did like a scan of his back. And I mean, his whole back and neck muscles were just as tight and stressed as you can imagine. And he's, without realizing, constantly trying to, to control it's a that. Wound so up you, ball you've of, got yeah. those, those things. But then anxiety plays into that. Mm-hmm. His ADHD sometimes, I would think. And, and yeah. certainly his. We're his in the middle of that right now. Yeah. We have never, um, Max's husband and I have all have agreed had agreed not to put him on medication as long as the therapy was still working and long as long as it wasn't interfering with his daily life and um it's gotten to the point now where he actually recognizes things and it's upsetting him that he can't do things when he you know gets into a mode and um his anxiety has always been very very prevalent and so we just uh, recently took him to a psychiatrist and he was diagnosed with ADD, um, which if you don't know the difference between ADD and ADHD, it's just the hyper part is taken out of it. He's not hyper. Um, he just can't focus. He has a hard time focusing when there's other things going on around him. And that's when the spinning starts. It's like, it, if you could see my child, he's like a, an ice skater. Like he can spin it's, it's not fast. like anything I've ever seen in my life. He doesn't get dizzy. He doesn't. He can spin as, as fast. He doesn't fall. But yeah. it is like an Olympic skater yeah. on the ice. And then he just walks away. Walk, like nothing. Like nothing happened. But when he's doing that, he's constantly talking. And that's how he's thinking. It's almost like he has to do something else in order for him, his, him to be able to focus on his brain and what his brain is thinking. And he'll get up, and that's part of his IEP and why he has to take his test outside of the classroom is when he can't focus and there's things going on around him. And it could be as simple as a clock ticking. Mm. It could be as quiet as a mouse in the room. But if the clock is ticking, he automatically thing. goes to that. Or a bird chirping outside the no, room. I have ADD. Yeah. I don't have ADHD. Right. I can, not on the spinning level, but I can relate to that. Yeah. If it's too quiet or something, I've got to focus. Mm-hmm. It could be the sound of the air conditioner. Yeah. It could be a clock ticking. Right. It could be water dripping. It could be whatever. There is nothing else on the planet except for that noise. Right. And and I'm done. I can't. And see, that's ADD. The spinning in order for him to cope cope with the ADD is part of his, his Asperger's. So, you know, he'll be taking a test and all of a sudden get up in the middle of the room and start spinning. Well, that distracts everybody else. So that's why he has to be taken out of the classroom for those types of things. One thing we found is that through elementary school, because in our situation may be unique in that our school was sort of small, so the kids all knew each other throughout all of this. They eventually just figured it out and, you know, and and there were a few times that when they would say, why do you do that? And, And he would just say, I can't help it. And I'll never forget, um, my nephew one time, said to him, I really wish you'd be quiet and and stop making those noises. And he says, look, I've got to live with it, so you just have to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) But but in, in, in that aspect, he has been in school 
He was in school for, I guess, six years, including kindergarten, with kids who then learned about it. And those on the same sports teams with him learned about it. And we've mm-hmm. only had a few instances where people were not understanding. Um, you know, I can think of one or two kids who would actively make fun of him. And we'd have some issues with substitute teachers sometimes. And so we, we had been so fortunate. It really never was an issue right. well, and up until Marshall has now. <laughs> one, I mean, they are not in school together anymore, but David was always very aware. Well, and that's true. Your son was almost, I mean, like he a... He was the, the bodyguard. The, and, and they were so great together because Marshall doesn't like to talk about it. He'll He gets defensive about it and... And I try to say, you know, look, I mean, this is this is our life. This is what what it is. Well, was it two years ago that we did the little interview thing? Yes. So yeah. Christian had this idea, and it was such a great idea. Um, what was it for initially? Just a video to share with his teachers, and it ended up being shared with everyone in his grade yeah. at that point. So. Um, but Christian came up with a list of questions, but basically had David, my son, interview Marshall about Tourette's mm-hmm. and we filmed it and they did such a great job they I mean, really they were did like, what nine years old yeah they were in fourth grade and it, it was it was really good but David switched schools the next year and but would stay in touch with another friend of Marshall's mm-hmm. to check on him yeah <laughs> and make sure that things were going okay yeah and if I talked to Kristen and you know heard a story, or whatever, I would say to David. David would text the other friend, "Hey," or he would. I mean, like, I'm on this, right? Because my child is my certainly friend. not going to tell me when something goes on. I no, would always was, hear about it from the parent of one of his friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you know, at least Marshall's telling his friends about it. But I guess really at this point, you know, I I don't know what it's like to live with special needs, but I I am lucky that my child has a special place in his heart for special needs he's always really been compassionate towards them even as an infant at the grocery store if the you know bag boy had down syndrome one in particular oh my gosh she couldn't get enough of him Mm. he was reaching out for him every time we went to the grocery store Mm. and just his godbrother you know had some issues we've i mean both of y'all he loves your children Mm -hmm. You know, other friends of mine, my friend over in Atlanta, and I, I just want to encourage parents of typical kids teach them kindness yeah, and acceptance. Absolutely. It was one thing that I made because there were so many people in our lives that had special needs that it was kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, like this, people are different, mm-hmm. and doesn't make them right bad or anything wrong with them you know, socially mm-hmm. or whatever. But just be kind right. and be open. So and just talk to your kids about to special it. needs. Well, and that was the thing. David had a lot of questions, and we. I remember one night we went out to Pablo's for Mexican food. <laughs> it was right after uh, Marshall's diagnosis, right. and I had talked to David about this, mm-hmm. and he had all these questions. And I said, you know, when we go to dinner, ask Miss Kristen, and he sat there and he did. He he, yeah. he you know quizzed me, and well, why why will he make these noises, or why will he do do these actions, and. You know, and and using the example of it's like an itch you can't scratch. Yeah. It, it's just eventually, or trying not to blink, eventually you're going to do it. And no matter how hard you try. And that's one thing we notice when he comes home from school. You know, he, he has been focusing on trying to keep it as low-key as possible. And because 
he's a boy and he's 12 and or almost 12 and you know I'm his mom apparently prying into his life when I ask him questions he doesn't always want to answer me so I have to like seek out people and be like yeah hey how's it going in the classroom yeah um and a few weeks ago I actually cornered a, a friend of ours and and who's in one of his classes and I said well you know, are you hearing him ticking? And, and they've known that he's mm-hmm. um, he has this. And, and he said, sometimes, but it's really not that bad. I mean, so he, he needs, you know, he's able to control it some at school. But then what I can tell is when they're bad mm-hmm. and then the ticks show up badly at home, that means that he's really been struggling to control it at school. Mm-hmm. And by the time he gets home, he's exhausted mm-hmm. and he just explodes. That's the same I mean, the with Waylon. It's and, like, that, that's a big thing on some of the forums and stuff that I'm on with autistic kids is they're so trying to control themselves and, and do the right thing at school that when they get home, they just have like an hour long complete well, meltdown. When you had was a couple of weeks ago, that was pretty yes. rough. Um, well, that's kind of what uh, like triggered us to decide yeah. to seek out the psychiatrist and, and get something for the anxiety. And then he got diagnosed with the ADD as well. Um, and, and I knew it was complete anxiety. He had been great all summer. Um, we went to meet the teacher. He was fine with that. But at Meet the Teacher, he got to see all these different things that were about to happen. He got moved to, you know, second grades on a completely different side of the school. He obviously was going to have a new teacher. We also learned that day that his instructional support teacher um, had left and they had had just hired a new one. So he heard that and knew that. So there were a lot of changes that were about to happen. And so, you know, I think it happened, you know, the... Meet the teacher was on Monday and school started on Wednesday and Tuesday we had a complete meltdown and it lasted for a couple of hours and it was all anxiety ridden from the fact that he knew all of this change was was about to happen and and he recognized it then that was the first time that he actually vocalized it to me that he was feeling anxious and wound up and he couldn't control it and that's you know, kind of our deciding factor, you know, with medication was once he started realizing it and therapy wasn't helping anymore that we needed to, to go a different route with that. It, it's kind of funny though, um, uh, this past year uh, in April is Autism Awareness Month and we always wear our blue on the second. It's light, light up the world blue day and um, we were all wearing our blue and we're very open at home about it. We talk about autism all the time. I have an autism awareness sticker on the back of my car. He sees it constantly. But um, his, he said to me, he said, well, why are we wearing blue? And I, so I told him and he said, well, I wish I was autistic. Then I'd be, <laughs> then, I, then I'd know everything. And I was like, buddy, you are autistic. And I said, and you do know just about everything. And he goes, oh. <laughs> it was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. So. Okay. <laughs> that explains it. That explains it. <laughs> so it was just so funny to me. I'm like, how does he not know that he has this? What we talk That's about. What we talk about. <laughs> it's our daily life. But I'd like to also, like, you know, like, David is amazing with, with special needs children. I have a younger daughter. It's 15 young, uh, months younger than than. Which Waylon. I want to point out, both of y'all yeah. have the very close babies. Yes. And both dealing with the oldest having special needs. I just find it very interesting because my friend in Atlanta also yeah. has 
I think a fifteen. I month think God age knows difference. what He's doing. When well, he but the younger. Uh, fifteen months. I'm seventeen, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, but but that younger child comes out is, is typical and is yeah. is like well, your boys fight, but yeah, mine my right, mine my are little kill each other. Yeah, my little girl is probably the biggest blessing to Waylon. She has brought things out in him that no therapist could bring out in him. We couldn't bring out in him. Teachers can't bring out in him. She makes him do things that nobody else can get him to do. And um, even She's almost though, like the big sister. She I've seen is, her take his hand and direct him. And most people and, do think she's older. For one, she's super tall. She's already taller than he is. Um, and she's very, very mature. And she's almost, she's very motherly. She definitely has a mother instinct in her and almost more motherly to him sometimes than, than I am. She's she's always looking out for him. We're in a grocery store and he starts spinning off and is getting too close to something she thinks he's going to hit. She'll pull him back in. Oh, I love it. Um, if we're in a crowded area like we went to Disney uh, this past summer, she constantly had his hand, was watching out for him, making sure that he Bless you know him. wasn't walking away um she she's just like his protector and you know it at the time when Waylon was six months old and and a handful to say the least um and I got pregnant again it was kind of like oh my god (laughs) how am I going to do this with two babies absolutely but she has been the biggest blessing I mean when she was little you know she she has a huge imagination loves to play pretend and with Waylon you'll see with with I don't know if it's with autistic but I know with Asperger's everything is very factual he doesn't he doesn't see the point in anything that is not real fiction not true yes that is not true like why would you even learn anything that's not true he he doesn't like reading fictional books he doesn't like listening to fictional stories and pretend was an extremely difficult thing for him as a child because he just couldn't unwrap his head around it. He wanted facts. He wanted to learn facts. And um, But my daughter would make him sit in the floor <laughs> and play pretend with her. And she, he didn't have a clue what to do. But she would tell him. She, he would, she would be like uh, playing with a little baby doll and saying blah, blah, blah. And he wouldn't know what to do. So she would tell him what to say back with his toy. And she'd feed him this information. Just teaching him social skills. To the point where now he can do it. And he, oh. he could not get on that level with any therapist. He didn't understand what they were doing. But with his sister, he could understand what she was trying to get him to do. Now, he, doesn't, he still doesn't like doing it. He does it to appease her because he loves her with every fiber of his being and would do anything to appease her. But it taught him those social skills that he just didn't understand from a therapist's point of view. Oh, I love that. And so she has just been a huge blessing. But there's sometimes I have to rein her in. Like, she'll be getting on to him. You're not his mother. (laughs) He's okay. Let him be, you know. But, um, you know, and and I also think of it in, you know, a school situation, too. Um, Her being so close and only a grade below him. 
I feel like she's going to be his protector in school too. And she's going to make sure everybody knows that's my brother. And, you know, because she's a social butterfly. She's got all these friends and knows everybody. And she's very inclusive of him too. When she has, you know, a play date at home, you know, that comes over, she's like, come on, Waylon, let's, let's go. Come play with us. You know, so I feel like she's going to be a huge part of his life. I mean, we were talking in the car the other day and they were talking about where they're going to live when they grow up. And, you know, Waylon said, and it was funny that Waylon said it, um, well, I'm going to buy a house and you're going to buy a house right next to me talking to my daughter. And (laughs) and so that we can see each other every day. And I'm like, oh, that was only how it was going to (laughs) work. My mom would be like, you live in Seattle, I live in Miami. The problem is they both want to play ball for the Red Sox. So oh, okay. That, well, that yeah, might be that, an issue. That might be a problem. They could still live separately, but during yeah. training season, they're yeah. going to be yeah. together. together. Well, and and I, I, I mean, I, coming from a mother whose children fight constantly, and well, it's I know, two boys. Yeah. I know it's two boys, and everyone says have kids close together. They'll be best friends. Yeah. <laughs> Um, not the case at our house. Well, yeah. and not right now. But so mm. many times, though, I think that my younger one, he's 17 months younger, but he has had to, from a very young age, learn to accommodate his right. his brother. Mm-hmm. Because part of Tourette's is also, you know, there's there's rage. There's, um, you know, just sort of the, the uncontrollable. And this is what makes me think we may be looking at oppositional defiance as well. Um, you know, he just, he learned real quick that if he was having a fit and throwing things out of his room, that I was picking them up and putting them away and not giving them back. So instead of throwing his things out of his room, he'd throw his brother's things right. out oh. of his room. And, and oh. so from a very young age, Patrick had to learn, you know, and I had to, had to say, you know, he can't help some of what he's doing. He's got to, you've got to be patient with him. Right. And, and I honest, and I don't know, maybe I handled it wrongly because there's a strong amount of resentment between the two of them right mm. now. But they are vying for the same, almost the same friends, the same. Right. Um, well, yeah. it's tough because David is friends with, with he both really is with boys. both of them. And and they have different relationships, but yeah. And, and so he, they are so close. I, mm-hmm. You know, I worry about him. Also, and and when there are times when I know that what's going on with Marshall and the things he's saying, or, or you know, the the rage and just the the things coming out of his mouth, he doesn't mean. And in ten minutes, he's going to be so sorry. But nobody, can, I mean, I'm thinking, I, I didn't know anyone could be this mean. I mean, just the things he will pick at mm-hmm. to to get you. And my husband takes the brunt of it, and then Patrick takes the the rest. And for some reason, I'm able, when he tells me, you're the worst mom ever, um, I'm able to say, okay. (laughs) I mean, I know you don't mean that, so it's fine. But it it really gets at the the other two. And my younger one has a really hard time getting past that. And... um, and so we we deal also with this this whole issue of you know the sibling rivalry, but in some sense I think it's so much more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a younger brother, and we didn't get along at all um, when we were children, and you know we do now, and, mm-hmm. and it's different that we're adults. And my, my younger son and his oldest son are the same age; they're six months apart, and 
you know, they are just like this, even though they live in Utah, we live here. Right. They, you know, I mean, they're just so much alike. And, and so we do get along now, mm -hmm. but you know, there was a lot of times we didn't, but I swear it was never this bad. Yeah. And sometimes I just think, you know, I I think my mom cursed me when she said to us one day, I hope someday you two have children, talking to my brother and me, yeah. that, <laughs> that fight just as much as you do, then you'll know what it's like. Well, mom, I know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, we have a little bit of the same, like, Ori has been very, always been very understanding of, of Waylon, and we've always talked very openly about what he has and when he's in the middle of a meltdown, even as a very small baby would just, I never had to worry about her. She would back out of the way. She would go off and play on her own and let me tend to Waylon. Mm -hmm. But as she's gotten older, I've had, you know, it was always very difficult for us to take Waylon places. It was very overwhelming for him. So we shut ourselves in, which was a hard, very hard part for me. I'm very social and you know, I ended up, you know, quitting my job to stay home with Waylon because it was too overwhelming to work and I couldn't put him in any daycares. Nobody would take him because it was, uh, of all the things, he would just scream the entire day and um, nobody could control him. We didn't have a diagnosis yet. And so I became a stay at home mom and we just, you know, it, we couldn't take him anywhere. And when she was a baby, that wasn't affecting her, but as she's gotten older and the fact that she is so social, she wants to go and do. I mean, she wakes up, comes down those stairs and says, what are we doing today? Absolutely. And we had to start accommodating that and we had to not hold her back for fear of what Waylon was going to do when we were out and about. And that's just when I had to turn my blinders on and just let Waylon be. And there's, you know, a lot of times that he would have a meltdown in public and I just have to deal with it and, mm -hmm. and go about my merry way. But we couldn't hold Ori back from doing things just because Waylon couldn't handle it. One of the worst situations for me, and I'm able to, when he's at home and ticking, I could just completely, yeah. there are some that I can't ignore just because they're really loud. Mm. But, mm. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I can, you know, just ignore it. It's just what how life is. But I swear one of the worst places for me is church because they sit with us in church mm. and then he start, starts ticking and I can't focus at all on, uh, um, you know, on the sermon or whatever else is going on and because I'm then I become worried about what other people think yeah and that's been hard to get over and I have a similar story kind of about church you know it being a, a difficult place um, which is so strange to me because you know church should be the one place that you are are welcomed with open arms but so many places um, it's not that way, and children are viewed as a distraction in church. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Megan tell kind of her side of of the story um, from her perspective, and then I'll I'll fill in the rest from. Well, it's really how I heard about your story right. before I even met you or knew you or even had any idea that we'd become as good of friends as we are. Right. When I went to the church the first time in my search for finding a a new home church and all that 
after the service was over, priest took us on a tour of the church, which is a very tiny church that the tour doesn't take more than 10, <laughs> yeah, 10 15 minutes, yeah. um, which I love, actually. Yeah. But went into the Sunday school room, and in this corner of the room, there was the words, Wayland Spot. And we noticed it, and it was surrounded, it had pillows and surrounded by books and stuff. And, and our priest told us, he's like, yeah, we've got a family that has a special needs child who comes to Atrium, and this is his spot. So he can go chill out there if he needs to get away from everybody or everything. Like, that's where he goes, and everybody knows that's his spot. And the church is so small, but it's, it's you know, he was the only one that really needed that right. area. But I just thought, that's so sweet. Like, that's, that's such a nice thing. And then he went on to tell me that for a number of months at that point, maybe longer, that the children's um, director. director was hosting a private atrium. And atrium is what we call our Sunday school. It's the program for the kids, yeah, for the children. And was hosting a special one just for him on Fridays. And I just thought... That's amazing. Yeah. Like, no no church I've ever been involved with ever did something so specific and so individually driven and focused on one person, one family. And it, I mean, the church service itself, it sold me, but that was like, wow, okay. Yeah. I don't need that service, but the fact that you provide it, yeah. this is... These are, the, these are my people. Yeah, this, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. Yeah. So. so how all that happened was, um, yeah, I was married at the time, and uh, my ex-husband and I were um, building a, a house in a, in a new community. And our house was almost done, um, but we were kind of at the very start of, of the houses that were being built. So there weren't very many houses there, but um, the neighborhood hosted its first kind of get-together for the people that had already bought in the neighborhood. And we went. Um, we did not take our children uh, with us. Uh, they stayed at the house, and I think I went for a little while and then came back, and then, then Adam went uh, for a little bit. But I met this uh, woman named Lynn uh, there, and she had a teenage daughter, and she overheard me talking about my children and whatnot, so she came over and introduced herself, and um, her daughter was very interested in, uh, in babysitting, and so they gave me their number. Uh, Lynn gave me her number. And um, it was just a very simple conversation, but she was very outgoing and, and very sweet and in that conversation and um, never mentioned, you know, her church or anything like that. So it was probably a couple of weeks later that I really started um, wanting to focus on finding a church again. Um, my children were getting a little bit older. I grew up in church. It was a very important part of my um, upbringing, and I wanted to get them in that. But like Kristen said, it was a very difficult um, place to, to have a special needs child, especially a very vocal uh, special needs child. Um, so I, I started that process again, and St. Thomas was a place that I had gone before I had children. And I grew up in a small church, so I um, wanted that community of a small church, which is very difficult to find in Birmingham. We have all these mega churches here and um, you can go for several months and nobody knows you've even been there. And I definitely did not want that. So I started with St. Thomas and um, looked it up online and started looking through their children's section and immediately recognized Lynn's name as the children's director. So I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, this is our situation. 
this is Waylon. This is why we haven't been able to go to church. And she immediately um, embraced that and said, just come, come meet me at the church and um, let's just show the kids and what we do here. And so I did and I went and met her and, um, and uh, we uh, went through the church and Waylon was having a really good day. So he was running through, playing the, he played the piano for a minute and she was showing him the, you know, the altar and how the service goes and all of that. And after, you know, we, she met with us for about an hour. We, we talked about different things in Atrium and how it works. And, and I was very, still very standoffish about it. I was like, I just don't think he, you know, our Atrium for the children is a very quiet place. And I yes. just don't think that yeah. he can, can handle that. And she said, well, let me tell you what I'll do then. She said, every Friday we'll meet up here as long as it's conducive for your schedule and mine. And, um, and we'll do atrium one-on-one -on -one until he's comfortable in this environment enough to do it with the other children. And I was just like blown away uh, by that. Now I'm gonna cry. Yeah, <laughs> and holding back the, the, the emotions, but it, it, was, it was such an amazing thing at the time. And she met with us for a solid year every single Friday um, to do atrium with Waylon. Until he was comfortable enough to go in, and then that's when she made him his spot um, because we we tried it a, a couple of Sundays, and he still was just very antsy and a little bit dis disruptive and stuff. And I was in there with him, and um, so I came in like one Sunday, and she had just put the sign on the wall that says Waylon's spot, and she had put a pillow down and all these books, and he immediately went to his spot and felt comfortable. Like, he, felt safe. he felt safe. He had a spot and he didn't feel like he didn't know what to do in the room. He now knew what to do in the room and where to be. And um, it was just a very touching thing for, for her to do, but a church to open oh, yeah. themselves up to, to do such a thing. And now everybody in the church knows who Waylon is, and he runs up and down the aisles, and you'll hear him. And you know, after you know a song is is done, and the are we done? yeah, are we done yet? <laughs> you know, and is it over? Is it over? Uh, you know, but you know, there's so many other children that are you know running and oh, doing. There's babies, screaming there's babies everywhere. So like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, nobody even pays attention to it anymore, but everybody knows who he is. And, and the other thing is, you know, he's kind of a flight, flight risk. So, you know, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, well, there he goes. Yeah, you have to, you have to keep your eyes on him all the time, which is another thing that Oriana does constantly is she's always watching where he is and what he's doing. But everybody in that church is too. Like there have been times that it's like, I'll catch out of the corner of my eye. Somebody's going after Waylon. He's headed towards the door. And you know, I don't even have to think about it anymore. I know that when we are in that building, he is safe. Yeah. And it's, it's just a, an amazing thing. So in all the isolation that I had, um, I have also had those few people that have stepped up and stepped out and done above and beyond for us. And um, it's really is kind of ironic it's been since my divorce that that kind of I have been able to grow and be more 
social with Waylon. And it's not that Adam was holding me back by any means. I think it's just a stage that we're in and that I'm more out there and going and doing. You're more more outgoing now than you mm -hmm. were when I met you. Yeah. I mean, it's taken some time. And I don't think Adam was suppressing that. I I think it was just my way of life. I take credit for it. I think it was my way of life. I had gotten stuck in the monotonous, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I do this. But also, in the two years you've been divorced, he is growing. Mm -hmm. He is getting older. He is maturing. Able to do things, yeah. He is improving in his situation. Right. And therapies are working. Yeah. Things are happening, so you're you're getting just the freedom of his age. Right. It's too. It's yeah. going to continue to mm-hmm. get better and easier as mm-hmm. he gets older. Yeah. Because he's maturing too mm-hmm. and it gives you more freedom. Yeah. And it's, it, that whole story is such a um, huge, huge part of him and where I am right now because we moved into that neighborhood. That happened within the first few months of us being there. And then we were only there for two years before we got divorced and we had to sell the house. And I honestly believe the only reason we built that house was to take that step and get me into that. that place because that church is what gave me the power to feel like I can do this Mm -hmm. on my own, something that I had been wanting to do and thinking about for over a year, mm-hmm. it was, I now had oh, yeah. the sense. power to do, to do that. So, I mean, it's a huge, that, that one little story is a huge part of, a big part of your story, a big part of my story. Yeah. Well, we have gone way over time. Yeah. Um, way longer than our other podcast. Our 20 to 15 so. minute We'd like to thank Kristen for yes. joining us. Kristen, thank, thank you guys for having me so <laughs> much. Fun. I'm so glad you came, and I'm so glad you live two minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can coast. I know that you did talk about the Facebook page, Instagram. I don't think we actually did oh, end no, up plugging did. it. Okay. So we are official. We've been talking about uh, our Facebook page and Instagram, but... I have to tell y'all an honest truth. We didn't realize we were actually live on iTunes until this weekend. <laughs> We've been recording these on an app called Anchor and thought, we're just going to practice this a few times <laughs> and see how it goes. And then Abigail texted me Saturday and said, um, we're on iTunes. Yeah. And I I've been publishing it. them on, on Anchor so that we could share them with our friends and let other right. people see so it. We've, we've, people have been listening, but it's people that we specifically invited. Right. <laughs> but, but Anchor publishes to, to several different outfits, one being now iTunes. They did not originally when I got this app, and no. when I did the update is when they started publishing it to yes. iTunes. So we got published before we realized that we were being published. So we, we weren't quite ready to publish, but it's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's happened. I think you guys have done a fantastic job. Thank you. Very much. And I'm an avid podcast listener. Yes. Well, that I can test too. But in the meantime, in the last 72 hours, we now have a Facebook page. Uh We have Instagram. We have an email address, all of which are who's bringing wine at Facebook, 
Instagram or at gmail.com. So yeah. you can email us. You can post Mess. on our Instagram. You can message us any way you want to. Our Facebook page is up. Mm-hmm. We're promoting our episodes coming up. We yeah. are asking questions of our listeners. So we're excited. It, yeah. It's here. We, we, we're not prepared to be live, but we're live. We're live. And so if so, you have any questions about tonight's episode or would, any of our other episodes, we'd love interaction. We'd love to hear from you for sure. And rate us. Uh, review us. Yeah. That, that helps us get seen right now. I think um, we've got eight rates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a few reviews. Big time. We're big time. So, you know, we're excited about it, but we're so excited and we're glad mm-hmm. that it's, that it but kind of is. Them, you might also like, if you like. I know. Yes. Yes. If you look at our, did you see this? Mm, what? If you look at our, you, know, you go to our iTunes page, mm-hmm. it's like, you scroll the whole way down and said, if you like this, you may also like, we're tied in with My Favorite Murder, which Woo! is one of my favorites oh, yeah. among other great ones. So, yeah. we're, hey, we're, we're big time. We're big time now. So, go like all right. of our pages. Yeah, please like it so other people can see us. Yeah. And but, um, we appreciate you listening and we hope you keep listening. And I hope this was informative for you. And we will see you or talk to you next time. Absolutely. Shall we cheers? Let's cheers. We're about yeah. All right. Bye. Everybody have a great night. Good Bye. night. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, just to follow up at the very end of the episode, you can tell that Megan and Kristen got a little bit further off in distance and sound or one of our mics got disconnected. So we apologize for that. We hope you still continue to listen to us and send us questions or uh, anything that you may want to know and um, like us on Facebook and Instagram and uh, you can send us emails as well. And that's all at who's bringing wine at Gmail at Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for listening.